January, over 750 OA members gathered in Los Angeles for OA's 50th birthday party. Events included keynote speakers, multiple long-timer panels, workshops, a big book boot camp, and even an appearance by Roseanne F's. If you'd like CDs or MP3s of any or all of these sessions, go to OA50th.org and then follow the link to the recordings. That's OA50th, OA50TH.org. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jennifer. My name is Jennifer, and I am a compulsory reader, a bulimic, and an anorexic. Hi. Hi. So, what it was like. Some people talk about being born as an addict. Some people talk about, you know, whether they got this disease at some point in their life. I have no idea if I was born as an addict. I know that addiction runs in my family in multiple forms, and... I relate to always feeling apart from, different than, not good enough, better than, worse than, all of the feelings that addicts have with no substances. And I remember specifically identifying with those feelings as early as, like, second grade, feeling socially awkward, like just not being able to fit in socially, not having a lot of friends. Where I was raised, I was in a neighborhood where there weren't a lot of kids, and it was just my brother and I. And I would come home from school. My parents had a business, so nobody was home when I got home from school. And so I would eat. I would sit in front of the TV, and I would just eat. No one, like, you know, I looked like a normal kid. Like, it wasn't alarming to anybody. And um, I continued, I continued kind of like you know, doing this out of those feelings of loneliness. And I didn't even know it was loneliness in second grade. I just knew there was no kids, there was no parents, and I was by myself, and my brother wasn't that interested in hanging out with me, so I would eat and watch TV. And this kind of this kind of behavior continued, I'm sure, for years. And, I mean, I, I remember the food. I mean, it started out as ice cream floats, and then it progressed to cereal boxes, boxes and boxes and boxes of cereal. And it wasn't until about, I guess it was eighth grade, that I found bulimia. It was like my body started changing, and then the weight started to be put on. And so I thought, I, I think I had heard about somebody purging, and so I thought I was going to try it. The first time I tried purging, I didn't, it wasn't a huge binge. Like, I had just gone and I ate something I didn't want to eat. And I was like, I'm going to try it. Let me try it. And so I went in the bathroom and I made myself throw up. And I thought I had found the answer, you guys. I was like, this is it. I can eat whatever I want because I knew I had food cravings I could not control. Like, once I wanted something, I had to eat it. There was no filter. There was no... Nothing. It was like, I have to have it, and and I don't care who's in my way. Get out of my way, and I need to eat it. And so as soon as I found that I could purge, it was like, 
this is great. Like, I get satisfied. I don't have the consequences. Like, to me, there was just no consequences with bulimia. You know, it it progressed. I mean, it took on every form that we have in this disease. You know, I... The eating the little thing and throwing up progressed to eating binges and purging. And then that progressed to starving all day or maybe eating an apple at school, coming home. I had a friend that lived down the street from me that we would come home, we would make food together and purge. And even with, like, my pinch buddy, my purge buddy, I mean, there were times that I would, I'm sorry for the grotesque details, but this is what it was like, the dry heaves and the throwing up of the blood, she would be like, oh, my God, stop. Like, for another bulimic to have to be afraid of what I was doing to myself was, like, a testament to, like, where my disease was at a very early age. It was very violent, you know. And it's something that even a lot of people, you know, I learned early in recovery, but I hear today that bulimia is very violent. As a bulimic, I am an angry woman very angry and I don't know how to deal with that emotion and so I violently destroy myself there's even there's a part in the 12 and 12 I don't remember which step it's in but it talks about how we maimed our bodies and the things that I did to my body between just the binging and purging alone was violent but the progression into diet pills, the abuse of diet pills, and feeling like I was going to have a heart attack because I had so much ephedra in my system, to over-exercising for hours on end when there was no food in my system. I had taken a handful of laxatives the night before and was completely dehydrated and had binged and purged an hour before. I am surprised that I was never hospitalized. And I think for me, a, a lot of my using... The, the food and destroying myself because I was never hospitalized was my excuse of why I was still okay. It's like I never got so skinny that people were like, oh, my God, you need to be hospitalized. And I never got so overweight that people – I always managed to control it to where I kind of stayed in this window where on the outside I looked normal. If you went out to eat with me and you were my friend and I told you I had a problem with food, to be like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you're so healthy, you know? I I could probably be a certified nutritionist, quite honestly. With the amount of information that I know about calories and carbs and proteins and how to combine food, I know what to do. That's not the problem, you know? It's that I don't know how to feel my feelings. Like, I don't know how to deal with life. And so... Because I didn't know how to deal with life, I became an expert on how to deal with food and my body and how to control it and manipulate it and do all sorts of things with it. I think at one point in my life, I actually thought I wanted to be a nutritionist. And in hindsight, it's just my disease. It's like I'm obsessed, you know. So thank God I never went through four years of college to be a nutritionist. But um, anyway, I never put the two together that I was... I never knew that I was eating because of my feelings. There's a there's a question in step one that says in the workbook, why why are you eating? Like, what are you covering? I have no idea. When, when my sponsor said, why are you eating? I had no clue. And that's when they say, like, stop eating and you'll figure out why you're eating. You know, the feelings are going to come up. And when the feelings came up, when I, for me, for me, it was, I didn't stop eating right away. That's the reality. I stopped throwing up. And... You know, when I came into program, I came from another 12-step program, so I had faith that this program worked. And 
I knew that I needed to take direction. I knew I needed to get a sponsor. I knew I needed to, like, I knew the things to do. Like, I had been through it before, and I had faith that it worked. And the reason I came into program, honestly, is because they banned Fedra, and I had no longer could take diet pills. That's the truth. Like, if I could have kept... If I could have kept getting the diet pills and controlling my weight, I probably would have stayed out there longer. But I was so afraid of being fat. Like, I was terrified. At the end of the day, in my, in my eating and in my controlling, I was so terrified of being fat. And I don't know what I thought was going to happen if I gained a pound. But to me, I would have rather been dead than be overweight. And they put a ban on ephedra, so I went online and I bought, like, ten bottles of it. And I put it in a cabinet, and I said, go back to OA, get back there. Because I knew, like I said, I knew this worked. And so I started coming to meetings. And I started coming to meetings and working my steps on my other program and thought that would be enough. Like, I thought I would just come here and I had such an ego about 12-step programs. Like, I know what this is all about. I have that is a years here. And I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And the reality is, until I said I don't know, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't know how to eat, and I don't know how to stop throwing up, and I don't know how to stop starving, and all the behaviors that I was doing, did I start to get recovery. And so... You know, I, I thought about this in the car, actually, on the way over here, about any one of, any program that we work that's 12-step related. It's like, the more I surrender, the more recovery I get. And for me, what surrender is, is letting go of what I think is best. Like, if I think I know best anything, it's usually going to lead me to a period of time of being really uncomfortable, and then I'm going to get really tired of being uncomfortable, and then I'll surrender and do it another way. And that goes with anything. I mean, I came into OA to stop throwing up and stop abusing my body. But what's happened is that lesson has oozed into every area of my life. And so when I came in, I, I got a sponsor. My sponsor, my other program said, just get a sponsor. Stop trying to find the perfect sponsor because I needed the perfect one because I had so many things I did. I starved. I threw up. I overate. I overexercised. Whatever. And so I just needed to start being accountable to somebody. And my first sponsor in this program, it was fine. It was totally fine. It, it, I ended up changing like three weeks, so three, like three months into program. I heard a woman talk about not being able to stop eating frozen yogurt. And I was like, that's my sponsor. Like, that's the reality is because when I came in here, I was eating frozen yogurt, steamed vegetables, and protein bars. And it's because I knew exactly how many calories were in every portion of everything that I was eating. There were times when I would be on business trips where I would walk around blocks and blocks and blocks of restaurants and be like, I can't eat there. I can't eat there. Like, I couldn't eat anywhere. I'd stop at a 7-Eleven, and I'd get a protein bar, and I'd go back to my room. And when I heard her share about eating frozen yogurt and that was it, that's what, that's what I related to when I came in here. It had nothing to do with God. It had to do with the food. And when I started talking to her and we decided on my abstinence, I was completely honest about what I was doing with food. And I said to her, but I do all these things and I, I throw up and I starve and I binge and I 
whatever. And I just, like, I just need to stop doing that stuff. I just need to stop doing everything. And her response to me was, like, we're going to pick one thing. Like, one behavior is going to be your abstinence. And that was no purging. Until this day, my abstinence is still no purging. What happened for me in the beginning was I was binging, and I had to keep the food down, which is extremely uncomfortable, extremely uncomfortable for me. And I say keep it down, but there were times when I took laxatives. All I would do is I would call her or I would email her and be like, I took laxatives last night. I ate seven peanut butter and jelly sandwiches last night. And there was no, like, Jennifer, what are you doing? You're bad. That was my voice in my head. But it was like, okay, moving on. Like, it was no big deal. And when I first came in here, it was like, that was like do or die. If I ate an extra bite of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, like, I was going down. And what happened is as I started being honest with the food, I started getting rid of some of the shame. You know, I've shared it, you know, with other people on other meetings. Like I said, I come from another program. I have more shame about food than I do about telling you guys I smoked crack downtown. That's the level of shame I carry with this disease. And as I started getting honest with the food, I started getting honest with other areas of my life. And I was honest to this one woman, you know, and for me, I I don't have a lot of friends in program, but... I am diligent and rigorous about being honest with my sponsor. I started working the steps, and as I started working the steps, the the behaviors that I was doing were lifted. I stopped taking the laxatives one day. Like, it just stopped. Like, never once did did any of my behaviors get removed because I said, I'm going to put that on my abstinence because I'm not going to do it anymore. Like, never once when I was using, and I said, I'm never going to take diet pills anymore, did I stop? Like, what was the difference now? So, I just kept working the steps, and things were lifted. You know, I think one of the first things that was lifted was the binging. I I kind of, my meals were still big, but I wasn't binging. And then eventually, with the diet pills, I was taking the diet pills, and it was around my fourth step, I would get so sick to my stomach that... I I felt like I had the flu nauseous with the diet pills. They just stopped working. Like, they weren't – this was my favorite. I thought I would do the master cleanse with diet pills, and I gained weight. Don't ask. It makes no sense. But the reality is, like, this program makes no sense up here. Like, it's not a logical program. It's not not an intellectual program. But – And I feel like the way my body processes food now is completely spiritual. Like, if I am, like, holding on to things in my life and I have my fingernails dug into my way, my body holds on to weight. I have no idea why. There's been times I've been eating nothing but sugar and I'm skinnier than I've ever been in my life. It has absolutely nothing to do, for me, with controlling my food. It is total control with me willing to surrender to my higher power. And so, I, as I mentioned, my all of these things got lifted as I continued to do the steps. And where I'm at today is like, with the food, first of all, I eat whatever I want. I, I usually eat three meals a day. I don't even really eat snacks anymore. For a while, like, I needed the snacks. 
But I don't even, like, I don't even want them. Like, if I feel hungry, that was the other thing. If I felt hungry, I thought I was going to die. Like, I was going to starve if I didn't eat now. Like, if I didn't get food within a couple of hours, I was going to starve. Now it's like, whatever. Like, I'll eat when I get home. And there'll be food there, and it'll be exactly what my body wants and whatever my higher power wants me to eat and whatever. You know, it's like I eat sugar, I eat flour, I eat... I eat at any restaurant, anywhere I want to go, in this city, in the world. It doesn't matter. That's, and it's the other thing. It's like if, I, if somebody invites me over for dinner, there's this huge fear of, like, what are they going to have? Like, can I eat it? I can eat whatever I want. Like, if somebody puts it in front of me, I'll eat it. So that's been a huge reprieve. I don't, I don't look at my body in every store window that I walk by and start, like, analyzing my ass and everything else. <laughs> My closet is, like, one size of clothes. Me, I mean, depending, it's maybe a little. But it's, like, I used to have from this size to this size, depending on, like, which way the wind was blowing today. And my body is, like, really consistent. And I work out, like, two or three times a week. I, I'll do yoga. But it's that, – that was the other thing is really letting go, go of the exercise addiction was, like, I, I wanted to feel like I was, like, beaten down when I was done exercising. Like, that was a good workout for me. And it was like, if I got my ass kicked, it was awesome. And now it's like, I do yoga that's, like, really gentle. And for the longest time, I was like, this isn't doing anything. Like, what am I doing? And it's like, adapting an attitude of, like, love and compassion throughout every area of my life, even with myself, with my body, with what I put into my body, with my exercise practice, it's like I'm God-sized. Like, my body is God-sized. And, you know, I've lost weight since I came into room. I gained weight because I was, you know, I was really thin when I came in. And I had to be willing to go there, you guys. I mean, I was so tired when I got here. I was like, if God wants me to be 500 pounds, so be it. Because what I've realized also in recovery is whatever God's will is, ultimately I'm going to be happy. Like, I may think that I'm going to be happy, but with what I want, and I'll fight, and I'll fight, and I'll fight, and I'll fight. And God's process may be a little slower, may not look like what I want it to look like, but I know at the end of the day, if I can be in line with God's will, I'm going to be serene, I'm going to be happy, I'm going to have all my needs met, and I'm not going to be obsessed, ultimately, with my food and body. You know, today it's like I feel... I feel softer. Like, I, I feel like by coming, I was very hard. I was very rigid. I was very rigid. And, again, it starts with how I how I learned about my food here and how it expanded into my life. I was very rigid. There were things I could eat, I could not eat at certain times of day. I had to do this exercise on this day, this exercise on that day, stop eating before 8 o'clock, don't eat this, don't eat that. Like, I had a list of my rules. And if I missed, fucked up on one of those rules, like, it was a bad day for me and anyone around me, you know, and my life today is, I don't, I don't get to take it out on other people, like, I don't get to, like, be a bitch, because I ate cake for dinner last night, you know, and, and you say it, it's so asinine, if you think about it, like, like, what ruled my mood before does not rule my mood anymore, you know, and, 
I hold on to things less. You know, things will piss me off, but I quickly go to, I know the steps are going to give me a solution. I know if I'm pissed off about something or someone, something's wrong with me, like, immediately. Like, I may get to stay in that, like, fuck you mode for a little while (laughs) before it's like, okay, do you want to get happy now? So move on. Like, I, I just hang on to things a lot less than I used to. And I think that's come with my, my willingness to be, not my will. it's just as a result of being here, I think you get some more humility of, like, I'm not always right. And when I first came here, it was, like, my way, the highway, I'm right. And what I've learned is is I'm not always right. And there's a bigger picture. And if I want to, like, be harmonious, I get to be involved in the bigger picture, but I don't get it to be my big picture. And so... I feel really grateful for having a great sponsor that I can be honest with, like I mentioned before, work the steps with, admit my wrongs promptly, as promptly as I want to be happy, the more prompt I am, the happier I'll get, and, like, move on with my life and, and spend time with people I love, you know, pursue interests. I have, like, interests that I never even knew that I had besides, like, going to the gym before. I thought that was my, I thought that was my hobby, and it turns out that I like like I like to paint and I like to go to art museums and I like to like I like to cook with friends. Like I like to do all these things that were so not a part of my life before. And it's it's just been a blessing. It's been like a it's almost like they say the road gets narrower in recovery, but in a sense it gets wider. It's kind of like this was my road when I came in and my road now is like this. It's like, wow, that's out here. Like, there's all these things that I didn't even know existed in life because I was so focused on the gym, food, home, gym, food, home. Like, that was my life. And it's just been, it's been an amazing journey. And I think, you know, as long as we continue to work our steps and show up here, more is revealed. So that's it. Thank you. (laughs) Questions? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How do you know, like, on a daily basis, what your higher power, what God wants for you, as opposed to what you, you know, yourself will? You talked about that. Yeah, it's a good question. So, what is, what, how do I know what is God's will versus my my will? Um, and they talk about this in their literature, and it's been my experience also. Is we get in touch with that intuitive thought, and sometimes it's just like and. It's an intuitive thought, and the other thing that I've realized is my voice, my will, sounds like, ah! it's like really loud and abrasive. And God's will, is it's really quiet. Like, it's quiet, it's really gentle, it's like a feeling, but when I feel like it's like my will, it's like screaming and kicking. It's like a toddler, you know? And the other thing is, is I feel like when things are too hard, when they're too difficult, it's it's not God's will. Like not that not that I don't have to show up and, and take steps and you know, we all have to do work, but when it's when it's so hard, there's gotta be I think that's when I get to a level of surrender. And and as I the more I'm abstinent, the longer the the, the less of the struggle. You know, I'm more willing to get to surrender and be like, I guess it's not God's will that X, Y, or Z happens or that I do X, Y, or Z. You know, so that's been my experience with my will versus God's will. Um, as you were, you were talking about becoming more softer and gentler with yourself in terms of, like, eating and exercise and stuff, did you struggle at all with, like, 
seeing what other people were still doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, allow yourself to stay on your path and not, like, engage. Yes. Repeat everything. Okay. <laughs> so how did I stay on my path versus what other people were doing? You know, the reality is I think since I've been abstinent, I see it in other people really easily. Like, I can spot one of us very easily. And I think um, my experience was, and it, and it says this in step one, that we admitted we were powerless and that our lives had become unmanageable. And when I admit that, then I can recover. And if I don't admit that, then I'm going to keep looking what everybody else is doing, you know. And so a dear friend of mine has this disease, totally in it. I love her to death. We're still friends. But I know that I am powerless over food and my life is unmanageable if I try anything other than this program because I've tried it. So I think it's – and it says this again somewhere in the literature. We have to admit to our innermost selves – that we are a compulsive overeater, a bulimic, or an anorexic. And once we can admit that to our innermost selves, we can go back. I mean, not that we don't have the choice to go back, but for me, once I admitted it, there was no other solution. Sometimes I'll even, I'll, I'll see other people, and I'm, like, envious. I'm like, wow, I wish I could control. I wish I could starve for three days and do the master cleanse again. But, again, it's like, it doesn't work. Like, it does not work. Like, I've even, I've had sponsees that, you know, I've told them in the most loving way, go back out, go, go try to control it. Because until you're ready, it's, this program's too much work. Like, it takes too much courage and it's too much work. Coming to meetings, doing writing, calling sponsors, calling sponsors, it's a lot of work, you know. And the reality is, is if you're not ready, half measures avail us nothing. For me, it's, it's just, it's admitting on a core level, like, I have this disease, and my life is unmanageable, and there's nothing else that's going to work. Can you tell us a little bit about what the experience of the relationship with God was, say, growing up through your disease, and how you came to believe that how greater than yourself? Sure. My relationship with God before program and how it's changed through my, my time in program, I was raised really spiritual. My grandfather was a pastor in the church. My mom took us to Sunday school. My dad would wake me up to meditate and taught me at a very young age about the energy of all living things. I would sit when I was like four and bounce leaves without touching them to like learn about energy of living things and all that stuff. All that being said, I was a maniac in my addiction. So I... The other thing is, and I didn't share this in my story, I attempted suicide when I was 14. And I share that sometimes because that is my disease untreated. Like, without me using substances of any kind, I'd rather be dead. And I attempted suicide. I took 36 pills of Percocet and uh, went to the hospital. No one pumped my stomach because everything was okay on the outside, so nobody even suspected anything. And they sent me home, and I woke up the next day. And I've had friends that are in the medical community that are like, okay, you should be dead. (laughs) Clinically, I should be dead. And for me, that was, I know there's a power greater than myself, because by any human standards, I should have ended my life. That was my, I've always used that as my, like, point of, like, there's a power greater than myself. Um, 
what happened for me is before I got in any 12-step program, I was seeking God. Like, I would go, I would read a certain author's books. I would um, go on retreats. I would go to a certain church, a non-denominational. I was seeking a spiritual solution. Like, I, I intuitively felt like there was something spiritually wrong with me. And I was seeking the spiritual solution. For me, the steps cleared the garbage out of the way. It was like, here was me, here was God, and I could not feel the direct connection. Like, I didn't have a connection. And so what I realized through working the steps was there was just trash in the way. There was, like, junk, you know, like resentments, angers, fears, false beliefs about myself. All that stuff that comes out when we do our step work was really what gave me, like, the direct like, tunnel to God, you know, and so I always believed there was a God, I just never felt the conscious contact, and so the only way for me that I've ever, and again, by by seeking other sources, I've tried other ways, the only way for me to have a conscious contact with God was through the 12 steps, clearing out the garbage. Do you still um, struggle with, like, body image, Sure. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, we're never cured. You know, that's the real. I mean, I just the the difference now is like if I see something that I don't I don't like on my body, it's like okay, just put something else on and move on. Like it's that simple. It's it's like, and I know it'll pass. Like I don't fuel it. You know, it's like I don't keep feeding the disease. You know, I. I know I have a choice today. It's like I can either continue trying to put on smaller pants and smaller pants and smaller pants and beat myself up, or I can put something on that I don't have to worry about the size or the whatever and how tight it's going to be and make a phone call to one of my friends in program or my sponsor and be like, doing it again. It's just kind of like, and again, I think it comes with like acceptance of like, I'm a compulsive, like, that's how I roll. That's what I do. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and for me, the difference now, is too, is, like, when that happens, it's just, like, something's going on. It's so not about my food and my body. It's like, I immediately go to the tools of maybe writing or, like I mentioned, talking to a fellow, and I'll call and I'll say, I'll be honest about what just happened or my feelings, and then say, Clearly something's going on, and they'll usually know me enough to ask me some questions that the real feelings come out. Can you talk a little bit about how you work your program on a daily basis, and particularly you said you were in another program, like how you balance? Sure. Yeah, the way I work my program on a daily basis, I'm in three programs now, and what I've learned is that I hear the message in every program. It's consistently the same. And... What I've had to do, going to meetings, I hear the message. It doesn't matter. You just plug the substances. I had to work the steps in every single program. I do something program-related every day. I either go to a meeting. Every, I, I'll go to a meeting. I'll talk to my sponsor. I'll talk to a sponsee. I will do writing. I will do step work. I don't do them all in one day, but I pick up one of the tools of the program every single day. And... I get to, like, three or four meetings a week. When I first came into OA, I think I came to three meetings here a week, and I didn't go to any in my other program. I kept in touch with my sponsor. I worked my steps. But this was – somebody told me one time, work your programs 
in the order they're killing you. And so that's what I've done. I first had to stop, like, smoking crack, you know. Then I had to stop throwing up, and now it's, like, on to the next one. So, yeah, I pick up a tool, a tool once a day or a phone call once a day. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, do I do I find myself getting on track with food? Yes, because again, I'm never cured. And the the great thing is, at this point in my abstinence, I don't try to fix my food. Like if I'm like like I have a thing with sugar, you know, maybe one day that'll be on my abstinence. But for right now, sometimes I eat it sanely, sometimes I eat it insanely. And when I'm eating it insanely, I don't. At the beginning, I would be like, no more sugar. Just cut it out, you know? What I do today is, like, you better get your ass to some meetings. Like, my focus is not, I feel like I I don't focus on fixing the food. Like, I have enough experience to know, like, that's not my problem. Like, something else is going on. And usually, I can't get to what's going on by myself or by fixing my food. Like, those aren't solutions anymore. I need to go to a meeting where I hear people. I need to connect with people that know me. I need to do writing. I need to talk to my sponsor. And then, like, as a result, my food gets fixed. It's just like a byproduct, you know. But, yeah, my food's not perfect. And when it gets off track, it's not like it used to be. You know, it's it's very, it, the the fluctuations are very minute now. You know, but my, yeah, my reaction time gets quicker and quicker. And, again, I think it kind of goes back to, like, how quick do I want to be comfortable? The, the, the quicker I'm honest, the quicker I get to a meeting, the quicker I do my writing, I'm going to get comfortable much faster. Do you deal with um, people maybe forcing food on you or um, prying into what you're eating? Sure. Um, how do I deal with people prying into my food and why I'm eating it? I had to realize, for me, I was eating to please people sometimes. That's one of my core character defects. It's like the, when I tried attempted suicide, it, I can look at it now, and it was as a result of people-pleasing. Like, someone didn't like me, and so I would have rather died. And I sometimes will eat to please people. Like, if this is what you're giving me, then I'm, I'm going to make you happy, and I'm going to eat it. And so as I've done work on my character defects, I don't need to eat to make you happy anymore. Like, if you're eating something, or, or I'll have a friend that feels like she's splurging and she wants me to eat with her because it's going to make her feel better. Like, it's not my responsibility to make you feel better anymore. And I have someone that's really interested in what I eat a lot <laughs> at work. You know, I'll be eating and she's always like, just check in. Like, she wants to know how much I eat of what I'm eating, what I'm eating. Do I eat sugar? Do I use sweetener? Constantly. And I just answer it, like, matter-of-factly, and I move on. Whatever. It's her problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She's, like I said, I can kind of spot it easily now. So it's, it's a combination of the two, is not needing to people-please anymore and just, not being judgmental of somebody that really needs to know. Like, before I would have had so much judgment around, why are you all in my business? It's like, you're sick, you know? And it's a, it's a, new, it's a newcomer. It's somebody that's a newcomer who's untreated. And we learn in here to treat newcomers with compassion and love.
I have to do that sometimes. When people piss me off sometimes, I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't get to me, but if I can remember that this is a sick person and I need to treat them with love and compassion, it diffuses my, like, anger. Can you talk a little bit about how relationships are different from before you were programmed Yeah, yeah, how my relationships are different. Wow, way more intimate. They're very intimate. I, before... You know, I always say that my family, I always had a good relationship with my family. I don't have a history of abuse. You know, they were always really kind of supportive. You know, one thing that I do find different, and it's specifically with my father, is, and again, the people-pleasing, another one of my big character defects is um, looking for outside validation. And I've been able to not go there with him. It's kind of like... I'm going to a dry well, you know. And so specifically with my dad, my relationship has changed in that I'm not going there. It's like taking a hit from me or eating the food. It's like, make me feel good. Say you're proud of me. Say it's okay, you know. It's a drug for me. And so as I've healed my character defects, I don't seek his validation so much. And I also am not so judgmental of him. I mean, he's still a... He's an addict, untreated. And so not not seeking the validation and not being as judgmental of him makes my life a whole hell of a lot easier. And it makes our time together much nicer. You know, I would attack him before. I would attack him for everything he was doing. And he's actually really interested in what I eat all the time. <laughs> and I've actually had to say to him, please don't ask me anymore. And not, Dad, stop asking me. When it's like, you know what, Dad, I would really appreciate it if you didn't do that anymore, please. You know, so I think I treat my family with more love and compassion. And specifically with, like, a parent, I think I felt entitled. You're the parent. You should have it together. You should treat me this way. It's not the case, you know. Not in my family, with my dad, anyway. So I've, I've kind of... Um, as I've grown in love and compassion, I don't feel so entitled anymore. So, and then with my mom and my brother and, and my husband, it's just, it's it's very intimate. Like, I'm really honest, you know. I'm just really honest about what's going on in my life, how I, my feelings about certain things. If something bothers me, I'm much more vocal in a, in a loving way. Um, I don't shove it down, you know, or just kind of brush it un, under the rug. So... Thank you. <laughs>